Welcome to Thriller Premium. Welcome to Thriller Premium. In-depth coverage and timely analysis of macro and micro happenings in crypto. Welcome to Thriller Insider. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls from around the world, welcome back to another exciting episode of Thriller Insider. Today is August 17th, 2019, and um, I've just been diving into all this information on what BACT is trying to accomplish. Uh, I was thinking about it last night uh, on the, just kind of, you know, got off of work and just started diving into all the news and just kind of hearing everybody talk about you know, what was going on in the space and what this means and what it doesn't mean. And uh, I think I've come to the conclusion, what we're seeing here today is backed entering their first phase. That's right. There's two different phases to what BACT's doing, and we'll discuss phase two later on. But right now we're going to discuss phase one, right? So if you haven't heard, the news is that ICE announced on Friday that they have received their approval, which clears the way for the company to begin offering its highly anticipated physically settled Bitcoin futures contracts. The company intends to launch its products on September 23rd. That's big news. This is big news. We've been waiting since, gosh, December 2018. Hasn't even been that long, but it seems like an eternity in crypto. They first unveiled this last August, right? when they made the big headlines on Forbes and basically took over the whole mainstream news for a good solid week. Um, and then on Friday, Kelly Leffler, who's the CEO of BACT, she says, our contracts have already received the green light from the CFTC through the self-certification process and user acceptance testing has begun. She went on to say that with approval, by the New York State Department of Financial Services to create BACT Trust Company, a qualified custodian, the BACT warehouse will custody Bitcoin for physically delivered futures. This offers customers unprecedented regulatory clarity and security, regulated, globally accessible exchange in a market underserved by institutional grade infrastructure. She went on to add that uniquely backed Bitcoin futures contracts will not rely upon unregulated spot markets for settlement prices, thus serving as a transparent price discovery mechanism for the benchmark price for Bitcoin. The importance of this differentiator is only applied by reports of significant manipulative spot market activity and other concerns such as inconsistent anti-money laundering policies and weak compliance controls. And they anticipate with the finalization of the September 23rd launch date, user acceptance testing will accelerate and they will work with customers on onboarding and getting ready for day one. Now we all know that BACT may be the first to market, but the company faces competition. We've previously covered it in past episodes. 
but LedgerX and, respectfully, TD Ameritrade-backed ErisX are also looking to offer Bitcoin futures contracts to investors. There's also SeedCX and True Digital who are looking forward to launching contracts of a similar product later this year. I'll put a link in the show notes for Scribed, which describes exactly how this product overview for backed and custodianship and Bitcoin futures contracts will actually work. Now we're going to discuss exactly what phase one is. So let's start off with institutional investment. The first and most obvious nod towards this is that backed has an initial slate of venture capital firms. These are probably the firms that they're likely testing with right now. Now, if these firms are willing to stick their necks into the crypto arena, well, then it's very obvious that maybe even larger firms will come on board. Now, this is particularly likely because BAC plays by the regulatory rules and secures approval for its operations, most notably Jeffrey Spreaker. Now, it's no wonder that this guy has a vision to transform global industries with technology, but ISIS foray into Bitcoin is going to be a little bit different. Now, his timing as in regards to how he manages uh, as a CEO and uh, and a, a, sh- uh, a sharp uh, analyst in regards to business and how it splits amongst multiple channels, he truly understands that this revenue category uh, for Bitcoin as a commodity and even Ethereum eventually as a commodity will secure some kind of backbone by the New York Stock Exchange, right? This, This fiber and this network that they're creating on the second layer of Bitcoin will give that institutional grade trust that so many of these people that want to invest or even want exposure in Bitcoin or Ethereum will eventually receive now, Spreaker has correctly predicted the money managers would need more and more data. And he saw this with mutual funds and ETFs. And it's no wonder why he was able to not only manage the data signaling when it comes to stocks and uh, when it comes to adding them and dropping them, but he's also able to manage small value index funds as well, too. And he aimly, you know, disrupted the old fashioned bond trading universe back in the day. And it's it's a wonder that he's kind of this guy that's able to kind of blend engineer and this new kind of adventurous approach to how markets and um, custodies are built. So this is who is ultimately at the very, very top kind of overseeing everything. And uh, this puts a very, you know, key person um, who has these relationships with regulators and has the years of experience and the multitude of capital that you would need to get something like this done. So for this key metric, that is not something you want to underestimate. So ultimately, if big you know, ticket uh, investors are fine with BAX operations, then it follows that you know small time you know retail investors should come on board as well. Now it's a known fact in the financial world that little money follows big money, right? Uh, the big fish <laughs> leads a trail, small fish right behind it as it you know sucks up all the scraps. Uh, if a large venture capital firm 
is confident and backed. Other firms then look for guidance and will follow suit. This has the potential to bring in a slew of capital from previously untouched resources. We're talking credit unions, retirement accounts, 401ks. By nature, these types of holdings need to be extremely, extremely conservative. They exist after all to help investors prepare for the future. Now, without significant institutional backers, the entire Bitcoin and crypto market uh, is gonna continue to be volatile. And me personally, and I'm sure a lot of you don't mind that, <laughs> but in order to make this really mainstream and to get cryptocurrencies out to the masses, this very this vicious kind of cycle, uh, it, needs, it needs institutional money to help with that volatility. And uh, ultimately, not having that uh, injected capital uh, will always keep Bitcoin volatile, right? Uh, so it's obvious then that backs entry into the market can can not only bring some sort of uh, a uh, relevance to Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies, but also could also bring you know this uh, this conservative uh, and and naturally calming of fears to a multitude of people out there using Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies as investment vehicles. Take a listen to Jeffrey Speaker as he talks about ICE and the potential for backed actually becoming a price discovery tool of a sort. Good morning as well. Uh, maybe by way of background, we're the largest exchange operator in the world and we price all kinds of things on our exchanges. We set the world's price of oil, we set the world's price of various interest rates, we set the world's price of various commodities. So we're kind of agnostic to price. I mean, we see prices every day moving around. But what we do is develop systems where there can be transparent and confident price discovery. Michael rattled off a number that had two extra digits <laughs> as if that is the price. Right. I'm more skeptical. Right. I don't know whether that price was manipulated or not. I don't know whether that was the price of a Bitcoin or whether somebody bought 25 cents worth of Bitcoin and then the multiplication effect came up with that price. I don't know whether there are people that are arbitraging between various technologies and therefore pushing prices one way or another in order to exploit the operation of the various exchange technologies. So partly what we're trying to do is to create a regulated institutional price discovery contract that people could have confidence in that would say that is the price. So one of the main issues right now with Bitcoin and cryptocurrency is there aren't a lot of exchanges out there that are regulated. Um, as far as the United States, we have Kraken, we have Coinbase, we have Gemini. But one thing is for certain is we have a lot of other big exchanges like Binance and BitMEX and Bitfinex. So a lot of these big outside of the United States uh, crypto exchanges uh, control the order book when it comes to Bitcoin, make no mistake. Um, so what they're trying to do, what BACT ultimately and the SEC and the CFTC are looking to do is get a real approach to how Bitcoin should be operated uh, when it comes to custodianship and when it comes to creating a real regulated market for it. And what they want to do is 
create this order book and matching engine and, and set the market price for Bitcoin. And that's why you're seeing ultimately why you have the New York Attorney General's office going after Bitfinex and Tether and that whole issue. Then you also have CFTC just recently start investigating BitMEX as well. Now, ultimately, those, you know, companies and cryptocurrency exchanges are outside of the United States' purview when it comes to regulation, but they can go after them if they feel that they are directly uh, marketing towards United States investors. And they're using it any kind of way they can to do that. Uh, ultimately, I don't think it's a, a far-fetched, you know, theory to suggest that this is all coordinated uh, in an effort to uh, wrangle in what cryptocurrencies are and what a Bitcoin is and give it a, a real approach to how price discovery and cash markets. And basically, they just want an end-to-end -end regulated ecosystem and uh, they want an order book and matching engine uh, regulated as well, too. So ultimately, that's what they're trying to do. That's why they're partnered with these regulators to do that. And ultimately, you know, turn into, you know, these ETFs and other, you know, investment vehicles uh, exactly like that. Uh, it, it, it's 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 why they went after, you know, BitMEX. You know, they hold 20 to 30 percent of daily notational uh, liquidity uh, just from Bitcoin itself. So uh, it's valuable to to uh, regulate that, that order book. Uh, in the industry for sure. Take a listen to Kelly Leffler as she talks about this exactly. When we started developing contract design for BAC, it's a daily physical delivery Bitcoin future. We looked at what institutions needed to trade. Certainly, first and foremost is regulatory certainty. And that's why we're starting with Bitcoin. Bitcoin is the only digital currency or digital asset today that has federal regulatory oversight by the Commodity Futures Trading Commission or the CFTC. Starting with that digital asset, the second part of it was adding secure custody, or as we call it, warehousing. Thirdly, the price discovery process, a trusted mechanism for publicly discovering the price, free from fraud and manipulation, and all the things that go along with that, AML, KYC, and really creating that institutional infrastructure that doesn't exist today, that we think is a big opportunity for institutions to come in in a regulated way that they access other markets through. So with the way they trade crude oil, they can trade Bitcoin. You know, Kelly mentioned that warehousing is an important part of what we're doing. If you happen to read the Wall Street Journal over the long holiday weekend, which I suspect nobody did other than me, there was about a half a page article in the, the journal about the fact that we shut down a coffee warehouse because we thought there was manipulation and problems in that warehouse. Part of what we can do as a regulated exchange that has trading, clearing, and the settlement in warehousing is actually put a regulatory oversight over that warehousing. That regulatory oversight brings confidence for institutional investors. They've seen us take action in things like coffee. Confidence building is really about your firm's ability to perform and build trust, which takes time. And I think we have a lot of trust built in the institutional world. A number of instances where there's been theft and manipulation and fraud in, in the crypto market. So math can be defeated. There will be problems in any human institution. And 
you know, really what exchanges do, we have these things called clearinghouses. What a clearinghouse is there for is to manage the day-to-day -day problems that come up in human institutions. And those things have rule books, but beyond following the rule books, which is just a different kind of math. I mean, you know, maybe someday that rule book will be written into a smart contract. But it takes humans to interpret the out cases that you failed to put into the math. We've been at it for a long time. Jeff and I had our first meeting in this space in 2014, and we've been thinking about how to enter the space, talking to institutions, as we announced BACT in, in August. We put out an ambitious timeline to launch this year as the pipeline filled up with customers, particularly around the holidays and the onboarding. We've really aligned the product with the existing workflow. But to give it the best chance for success, we just pushed it to after the holidays to give more people time to get ready to get on boards. At ICE, we're the largest exchange operator in the world. We operate a dozen exchanges across US, Europe, Asia, Canada, clearing houses. So we're connected institutionally around the world to the largest traders of all asset classes. So it's that customer base. It's the new emerging crypto trading customer base. And then it's, we're getting inbounds from folks that we might not have reached out to, traditional asset managers. Banks are definitely doing work to learn about it. And so it's been really encouraging, but that's not to say it's not going to be a long lead time in terms of the, the learning curve. So one of the things that uh, the vast majority of people out there in the space um, have, haven't really come to the conclusion about is what this looks like in the short term. And I think Adam White, the CEO of BACT, kind of put everything to rest here about three months ago. And uh, it's interesting, there's so much information out there. And when I look at it, it pains me to see that maybe only like five, seven views <laughs> have, have looked at this stuff. So clearly people aren't uh, seeking this stuff out. Um, so take a listen as he talks about what the first you know, 12 months to 24 months of BACT will look like after it initially launches here in September 23rd. Mind you, this was recorded three months ago. Um, I would say certainly I, I think where we're going to see a lot of the most uptake early on are from the crypto hedge funds. They're already trading this product. Many of them kind of do uh, riskless arbitrage. So what they're looking for is that price delta between different markets for a fungible product. So it's our hope that, that we'll have pretty good engagement and onboard those customers. The challenge is many of those crypto hedge funds are not trading regulated futures products. So you have to kind of get them into and onboarded through the system. I would say there's the largely existing, more traditional institutional traders, so asset managers, proprietary uh, trading firms, and kind of traditional hedge funds. Many of those firms are already trading uh, institutional-based futures. Maybe crypto is something they're already trading as well in the cash market. I think we'll see pretty good uptake, and, and they're already knowledgeable of the regulatory structure. And then there's the long tail of... Um, existing incumbent institutional uh, services. So it could be sovereign wealth funds, it could be more traditional asset managers, pension funds. That is absolutely our hope to unlock that capital, but that is not gonna happen day one. It's probably not gonna happen year one. It's gonna happen over the next couple of years, and it's gonna take a lot of hard work and a lot of putting our heads down and just educating and advocating and answering questions over and over. But I think we are optimistic that slowly but surely we will see that, that kind of third bucket come into. Now this is phase one that everything that you just heard before all of this is phase one. This is how they're gonna launch, this is what's behind it, this is the products that they're building, this is what they hope to accomplish. And then Adam White 
just finishing off exactly how that's going to translate here 6 to 12, 24 months from now, starting on September 23rd. Now what we're going to get into is phase two. Now, like I said, with a lot of things, this is highly speculative. This this probably will change, you know, within ICE and within BACT of how they navigate this market after seeing what happens here with their Bitcoin futures products and, you know, just getting the overall sentiment of the industry, right? So likely this will change, but fundamentally, this was covered here on November 20th in 2018 by the block, and they actually got some inside sources to confirm that this project, this back project, was going to have two phases, phase one and phase two. But phase two is extremely, extremely bullish for what Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies mean for the mainstream uh, investor out there. And uh, they're targeting key segments of the uh, of the population to do this with. And so one of those partnerships, of course, is with Starbucks. Now, when they launched initially, uh, when they or when they expressed that they were going to not launch initially, and that was covered by Forbes here on August 3rd, uh, 2018. And they said they had a vision. And this vision was, you know, getting some of the biggest heavyweights of the world's technology from consulting to retail to, to everything in between. And that, that was with Microsoft, Boston Consulting Group and Starbucks. And they said they were going to um, find a way to get the world's biggest financial institutions onboarded. And then the next step was going to create some kind of merchant and customer participation in digital assets uh, just by promoting greater efficiency, security and utility and really leveraging what they build uh, on the custodial front to build out this open platform that unlocks uh, potential of digital assets across the global markets and sometimes even commerce, right? And the retail payments industry is ripe for disruption. And if we look at it just today, Americans charge $8 trillion in goods and services every year. It's over 40% of a GDP on credit card and debit cards. It's just a mess, right? And when it comes to, you know, restaurants who accept these cards, they typically pay 2 to 3% to around six intermediaries, depending on which merchant that they use. Um, and Visa and MasterCard have no reason to even uh, want to upend that. Why, why would you? Uh, it's really easy money <laughs> being a middleman. But it's it's even it's hard to overstate how drastically a shift to Bitcoin could crunch everything, right? I've said that multiple times here on this podcast. We'll pretty much see it all the time. So consumers could pay for this stuff, right? Groceries, detergent, coffee, it doesn't matter. We're seeing it already happen with Gemini launching their spending wallet. And they could do it right from Starbucks or even Walmart or, you know, uh, it could become this world currency like a lot of us want it to become. So backed and ICE are, are looking at this and they're saying, hey, maybe these banks might cooperate with us because this new system could actually encourage different forms of borrowing, right? Uh, a customer whose Bitcoin purchases decline because of a low balance could get an immediate loan from his or her bank right at the checkout counter to cover the shortfall. So it, 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 could all, it could all turn out excitingly well. And this next phase, this phase two, 
that is being discussed, I'm sure, at BACT, you know, probably on September 24th, the day after they launch, uh, is going to be about this and how they're going to turn millennials to looking at Bitcoin as a long term investment vehicle. That is going to be something that they're going to be going after. And uh, take a listen to Adam White as he talks about all this and a little more. And it's our it's our impression and it's our hope that we are not the only one playing in the institutional space. We are not the only company building applications and utility on crypto, um, specifically public blockchains. We want to see a, a lot of folks do that. The pie is way too small right now for back to be worried about how do we compete with competitor X or competitor Y. We want to grow the entire pie to, to all be successful. So. Taking a step back, I think we focus most largely on, on what BAC's doing on the institutional side, and that's very simply a physically delivered future, uh, which means that rather than look to a, an index price, which is what CME and SIBO are doing, you actually see physical delivery, and that looks a lot like the cash markets, like what Coinbase and Gemini and Kraken and, and all the other uh, crypto exchanges already do. When I give you dollars or euros or yen in return, I get crypto. And that involves uh, a centralized custodian. Bact had built an incredibly uh, sophisticated and, and uh, I would say, very elegant solution for storing Bitcoin in a way that we can also support other public blockchains as well and add more assets. So we're starting with Bitcoin because, quite simply, that's the only digital asset that we've seen the CFTC come out and say it is definitively a commodity. Uh, there are many other digital assets out there, and, and that's why we have... Uh, an open comment period going on right now for Ethereum as the CFTC saying, we want to hear how do people think about Ether and, and the network. But it's absolutely our intention to add custody and trading for more digital assets. But we also want to help build utility and application on those, on those technologies as well. So t sharing a quick ICE story that may help put this into light. When ICE develops a new market, um, say it's for like an oil future, they don't do so by building that market around the speculator or the trader. They really build it around the commercial user. So the example I like to use is there's a factory that produces a widget, and that's how they make revenue and sustain their business. In order pr to produce that widget, they rely on oil, and they kind of have one dedicated oil supplier or pipeline. If that pipeline goes offline, they stop producing widgets and they go out of business. So many of these companies manage their risk by buying a future on that uh, pipeline. So if it does go offline, they've hedged out their risk. That's exactly how Bax looked at providing a marketplace for Bitcoin. And that's why we started with saying, we're going to allow you to take your Bitcoin and go buy cups of coffee at Starbucks. Do we believe we are going to see billions and billions of dollars of Bitcoin paid for Starbucks coffee? Most likely not. It's our hope that that happens over time. But from day one, I, I think we're realists. And we, of course, know it's going to be a, a gradual um, increase. But we do want to actually think about creating a market and uh, that drives users to use their crypto in a way that provides a more healthy, heterogeneous market for those market makers and, and speculators to trade on. So it's this idea that more and more things in, in the world, be it physical assets or commodities, like uh, a piece of gold or a barrel of oil or anything, uh, a piece of real estate, can be tokenized but also inherently digital things as well. So non-fungible tokens like uh, a playing card uh, for an online game or even a security. To me, the, the big trend here is not, is it stable coins or digital dollars, uh, digital sovereign currencies that are gonna you know, totally uh, be the winner? Or is it security tokens? Or is it uh, what Venezuela did by kind of circumventing the modern financial system and, and putting a barrel of oil uh, 
on you know a, a digital token. To me, it's that general trend that that we're seeing these networks develop that allow the more free form transfer and, and ownership of uh, real and digital assets. So that that's personally a trend that. I spend a lot of time thinking about and uh, still learning uh, more and more every day. So it's obvious that Bitcoin is going to thrive with this mainstream uh, investment and, and attention towards it, right? We actually couldn't have asked for a better institution uh, or market maker you know, than, than ICE. Um, but uh, as far as how it's going to be packaged as mutual funds and ETFs, I think it's I think it's safe to say myself included and even some of my my friends and, and colleagues at work and honestly like my wife who who knows about crypto because I do it but even some of her girlfriends who are talking about uh, you know you know the future especially here in Austin when it comes to buying houses and stuff like that it's just a it's really it's really priced really high uh, you know for for a lot of people here uh, and so. Uh, a lot of us, the majority of us, realize that uh, millennials, uh, we typically don't trust uh, traditional financial institutions. That's not to say that we don't think they're going to, um, you know, they're, they're, they're not going to be around. It's just we went through the 2008 recession. We saw how big that was and what that did to our parents. And so a lot of us don't think that, uh, you know, these 401ks are going to amount to anything. We do it because, you know, that's something that, you know, uh, you know, you get like three or four percent and, you know, uh, over a, a, a time span that that could, you know, help your, you know, your retirement fund. That's why we do it. And there's been multiple times that I've gone out in public or to conferences and and talked to people, you know, around, you know, the area and just. Uh, people that you would consider to be no coiners, and believe it or not, they're investing in in Bitcoin through Coinbase or investing through Bitcoin in Square and and Robinhood and other these these little uh, mobile apps, right? So uh, mainstream acceptance is going to be the holy grail to to all of this, and I think Backed recognizes that it's probably going to be the hardest thing to get. Quite honestly, the the product release and all that stuff and getting institutional investors in that's that's all well and good, but um, I think what we're seeing now, um, even just with this, you know, past news this week and, and how this next recession is going to look like with Bitcoin entering in as well, too, uh, retail investors are going to have a tough time trusting, um, <laughs> you know, uh, the vanguards, the, the fidelities of the world. Um, you know, a, a lot of us believe in our smartphones, uh, believe in the apps that we use every day. It's sad to say, but there's a vast majority of us that uh, manage our entire net's worth through our phone. So when you marry these two mainstream concerns, uh, Bitcoin, digital asset, store value, uh, the future of what it means for retirement fund, gosh, this is going to be big and this gives credibility to cryptocurrency and it gives ultimately people a choice to um, to leverage this technology and actually have an investment vehicle that they can ride into their 60s and 70s with, right? Um, so why wouldn't you, you know, do this uh, if you're somebody my age? It just makes sense. And I think uh, once back starts, you know, if they do go with this whole kind of push for uh, mainstream news and try to get the attention of the masses this holiday season or even next year, 
when, once they roll out their apps, because they are going to have apps. If you go to their website right now, they're hiring tons of application developers and engineers uh, in iOS and in Android to to implement you know this uh, this new whatever app that they're building. One could speculate it could be some kind of like exchange bank portfolio asset manager token. You know who who knows. But uh, Adam White did kind of discuss this and kind of described exactly what the future of BACT actually will look like, uh, you know, long term. Take a listen. You know, BACT has come out and said, we're going to launch a physically delivered Bitcoin future. What about the other hundreds of digital assets out there? Um, the short answer is yes, absolutely. That we do not look at this as a, a Bitcoin only uh, ecosystem. But all these assets are not going to be able to be launched in a regulatory compliant way from day one inside the U.S. So I think we're taking an approach that while BACT may be um, growing and, and call it headquartered in the United States right now, we're going to look to expand internationally to other markets, Europe and Asia. And in those markets, uh, we may have more flexibility to add assets sooner than we do into the U.S. So, yeah, a- absolutely. You will see more digital assets uh, launched on, on BACT. You will also see different types of contracts launched as well. And you'll see that in, in other jurisdictions than just North America. So I'll answer the first question first, which is CME and, and CBOE uh, launched uh, Bitcoin futures a little over a year ago. So it was actually, I think, November and December of 2017. Um, how are we different? The, the very simple answer is we are a physically delivered product where CME and CBO are cash settled products. And what that means is on our platform, when someone trades to purchase Bitcoin in the future, at the end of that uh, expiry of that contract, we actually give them Bitcoin, not us, but the counterparty to that trade. CME and SIBO, that means it's only cash settled. So they're looking to the cash exchanges, the cash markets like Coinbase and Gemini and, and Ipit and others. And they're saying, let's look at the trading uh, data from there. And we're going to create an index that's going to representatively settle that contract. To us, I think that has kept out some institutional capital. In a way, though, it's actually brought in others. So there's some firms out there that say, we'd actually really want to have asset exposure. We want to have upside potential to this asset class, but we don't want to own it. It's just not within our risk tolerance. Those cash settle products work pretty well. Others, though, say, hey, look, we don't actually want to rely on the cash exchanges, which are are not regulated exchanges. Some are regulated custodians and money transmitters, but they're not an exchange with a capital E, whereas ICE Futures and the the product BACK will be offering will be. So our physically delivered product kind of solves that. So backed is air-gapped from the cash markets. On the application and utility side, we have to have a humbleness about ourselves that we're going to make mistakes, we're going to fail, we're going to innovate, and we're going to experiment and try again. So you're probably going to see part of back continue to launch new products, wind them down, try something else. We're going to be much more innovative and open-minded, whereas on another side, the institutional side, it's going to be much more kind of uh, you know, follow the, the path and, and execute. So Starbucks is going to play a pivotal role, a very important role in, in, in Back's plan to, to bring in these new customers and to leverage this uh, cryptocurrency market, right? Uh, and there's tons of people that enter Starbucks on a daily basis to purchase coffee, and the vast majority of them won't even think twice to pay with Bitcoin. But if there's some incentive to do so, right, and if they have this partnership with Back, and if they already use an app that maybe Back has created, or maybe Back is uh, surplanting within the app, uh, you know, uh, in some way, right, uh, either at checkout or 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 like a, a click through or something like that, it's this is going to bring in these uh, new people to enter the space, and mostly will be millennials uh, in that generation, right? That'll bring in these daily uh, purchases for Bitcoin. 
Um, so it's going to be it's going to be extremely, extremely, extremely uh, bullish time for Bitcoin once, you know, back decides to get into Starbucks and create these apps. And if they decide to do this whole mainstream news rollout and, and you know, uh, divert enough time and attention to uh, explaining to the world what cryptocurrency and Bitcoin and the features that it provides and the investment vehicles that it could possibly create. So this is going to be this is going to be really big and bullish for us here in the next five to 10 years, at least in my opinion. This is one of the main reasons why I wanted to cover, you know, back today as opposed to doing a thriller rundown or thriller insights, because I really see that there are multiple facets to what the implications of backed entering the space uh, mean uh, for cryptocurrency and Bitcoin that um, most people out there are not really looking at the uh, intricacies to all this and 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 how this will uh, develop over time. And it's just fascinating. I find it extremely fascinating. And I hope you guys enjoyed this whole episode as I had a lot of fun putting it together, as you can obviously tell from the sound of my voice. Uh, but I will say, though, there's still time. We got till September 23rd. Even after that, it's going to take time to onboard everything. Um, we'll talk more about that here in Thriller Coin Talk, you know, on a different episode. But I will always try to keep you guys up to date on all this stuff. And uh, it's my job to do so. And I'm extremely appreciative of you listening to this uh, subscription podcast. And uh, thank you. You know, there's a lot of people out there, I would call them Bitcoin traditionalists, right? Or crypto traditionalists that fear uh, ICE and, and backed entering the space and they're afraid of a lot of things going on. But I think it's important to recognize when something is changing and by surplanting your feet and not trying to move forward can sometimes have a negative impact on how you view the world, unfortunately. It's clear that uh, the vision of Jeffrey Speaker and Kelly Loeffler were able to see that Bitcoin and other digital currencies were gonna ignite some kind of spark for the global mass adoption. They were able to recognize that, hey, this is possible. There is some kind of momentum here that's building. We need to go out there and catch lightning in a bottle. So I would say, let's do the same and let's see what this turns into. Ultimately, markets will decide, people will decide, and that's all we can do. All right, see you next week.